I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I don't no, know you're it. right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who's who we have tonight? Uh, I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. We all know the risks of being on social media. But have you ever thought about the biggest risk? Do you mean getting murdered? We received a call from the Lueck family reporting that they had not heard from their 23-year-old daughter. I'm Jillian Lee Garner. And I'm Courtney Bell. We're the hosts of I Met My Murderer Online, the only true crime podcast to tell the chilling and tragic tales of how the internet can lead the unsuspecting into devastating dates with death. The search warrant resulted in the findings of a fresh dig area on his property. Each episode of our podcast is a true story told as a tightly woven thriller. You will hear from all who are involved in the case, the investigators, the droplets of blood, the way that the vehicle was left, victims' family members. That was our baby, and my baby's gone. Attorneys. Tiffany testified in court that he showed absolutely no remorse. Criminal psychologists. Sometimes people become a little too obsessed with the person they follow. And even the murderer themselves. I would pull the extension cord out. I put it around her neck. I held it for three or four minutes until I knew she was dead. We'll explore the warning signs, the red flags, and the twisted, tragic consequences that can result from online encounters. If you're a fan of true crime, then you'll want to listen to season two of I Met My Murderer Online. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And for updates, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Podcast. If you blinked, you might have missed a predator I've caught named Eric Pallison during our Riverside, California investigation that aired back in 2006. Eric was 19 years old at the time, and he showed up at our stinghouse to have sex with a 12-year-old girl, Beth. Her screen name was Bubble Beth 2005. The chat was graphic, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But Eric showed up at the same time 
two other men were at our sting house in Riverside, one of whom was a Homeland Security agent. And so this standoff started, and we're not clear whether one of them saw the other or they were suspicious or it was a standoff though. And finally, Eric paces in front of the house and he gathers the courage to walk around the side of our sting house in Riverside and walk in the back door. And I confront him and I'll get to the details of that in a minute. But if you recall, Riverside was very busy. We had some 51 predators show up in three days. Actors, a teacher, repeat offenders, men from all walks of life. And then there was Eric Pallison. He sent a picture to the person he thought was a 12-year-old girl that was rather clean cut. It looked to have been taken in a college dormitory room. His screen name, Jazzman04, played the saxophone. But there was no doubt in his chat as to what his intent was. Sex with a 12-year-old girl. In fact, he talks about the 12-year-old girl, Beth, getting one of her 12-year-old friends to also come over and also engage in sex. Now, what kind of a 19-year-old man gets online and plots for days to have a sexual liaison with two 12-year-old girls? Who does that? Eric Pallison does that. And it gets even worse. And you'll hear from a woman who ran into Eric was one of his victims many years later. And I found out about this case because she sent a letter to the Chris at Predator podcast email. I read the letter last episode. It's mind-boggling when this all comes together. And we'll hear from her in just a few minutes and what she has to say about her encounter with Eric Pallison, which raises all kinds of questions about how many other young vulnerable victims are out there. To the chat. Sup, Beth? You there? Beth? He's anxious. He wants to know where she is, who she is, whether or not she'll get with him. Hi, what you up to? He says. Beth? I'm here. What are you up to? He asks again. Just hanging. Cool. You have a cam? No, my mom won't let me. Aw, sucks. What city you in? Mira Loma, she says. Nice. You ever want to hook up sometime? All right, this is literally six minutes into the conversation, which may be a record. Six minutes into the conversation, he's asking a 12-year-old girl if she wants to hook up sometime. Like for what, she says. Whatever you want. I like to watch movies and get pizza. We can do that, she says. Sure. How old are you? Question mark. Beth? He's pushy. Twelve. Okay. 
Now there's no, oh, you're too young. Oh, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. I shouldn't even be talking to you, much less hook up with you for sex and ask you to also invite another 12-year-old friend. None of that. Not one bit of nervousness. You'll hear later that he's a little bit anxious that maybe she's just kidding and isn't really going to go through with it. But no, are you with the police? Remember, this is only our third investigation. No mention of us. He wants to know what she's done with a guy before. Have you ever done any sexual stuff? Like done anything with a guy? Or had a guy do anything to you? I kiss a boy before, she says. That's about it. Ever watched a porno? Yeah, a lot of 12-year-old girls watch pornos. Jeez. She doesn't know what that is. Like on the computer or on TV. Nah, Beth, what's porno, she asks. Basically sex on a movie or magazine, he says. Oh, never saw one. Ever thought about doing more things, he asks. Now, she is slow getting back to him, and that's part of the style of this role this particular decoy from perverted justice is playing and it's making him frantic almost bath question mark question mark i'm here i'll be right back just one sec okay let me know when you're back he asks bath i'm here she says okay so have you ever wanted to do more with a guy maybe what kind of stuff have you thought about bath question mark bath I'm here, she says. Sorry. I don't know. Not really thought about that much. Would you let a guy lick you? She's 12. Maybe. Like where? Everywhere, he says. I don't know. Maybe, she says. Would you suck on a guy? What? She says. Beth. You know. No. What you talking about? Would you suck on a guy's cock? Beth, now he's frantic. He's setting up this illicit meeting, but he wants to close the deal fast. Get it nailed down. And who knows how many other vulnerable girls he's talking to at the very same time. I might, she says. Never done it before. I could teach you, he says. What a guy. For reals? Yeah, we could meet up sometime and try it. You want to meet me, really? Twelve. Sure, if you do. I'll be yours for a day, he says. Wow, that's dreamy. Wow, my mom's leaving town this weekend. You're really serious? I am. Are you going to be alone at home? Yep. House all to myself. Now this really hasn't worked up. I'll be your toy for the night, he says. Yeah, just like wooden soldiers on parade. Hey, I never ask you age, sex, and location, she says. 19, male, Anaheim. 19. Now certainly this isn't the oldest predator I've ever caught. But 19 is a man 12 is a child this isn't even a close case no gray area as far as i'm concerned and as far as the riverside county sheriff's department and prosecutor's office was concerned either 
Would you let me lick you? He asks. Yeah, if you want. You want to shower together? That would be nice, she says. Okay. Do you ever play with yourself? No, not really. I heard it's better when someone does it for you. And then his grand gesture for a threesome with two 12-year-olds. If you want another girlfriend over, that's cool too. I might invite my girl Brie over, she says. You both gonna share me? Like you both do stuff at the same time, she asks. If you want, he says, I was talking about, are you gonna keep me for yourself or share with her too? LOL, I don't know. I'm not stingy. Well, if you have her over, do you want me to play around with her too? Or is she just there to watch? They're 12. Eric, Jazzman04. And this continues over the course of like three days. He talks about watching porn again. That he's about 40 miles away. 40 minutes. He talks about the porn he's watching. Two girls on one guy. Again, trying to drive home the point that he wants to be with Beth and the girlfriend. He says, girl is backward on top of the guy and the other girl is licking his balls as they fuck. It's almost unbelievable that he would think a 12-year-old girl would buy into this. His grooming is blunt and awkward. But he's so determined. His urges are so strong. He's going to push ahead. Would you suck me in the shower? Suck what? My cock, he says. Oh yeah, I could do that. You could have your friends suck me while we watch. <sighs> so it goes on. He again desperately tries to confirm that, in fact, this is going to happen. Saturday night. And here he comes. After nervously pacing in front of the house, as I mentioned earlier, he walks into the door. Now, he's not very chatty, but he does follow my instructions and takes a seat on the stool at the kitchen counter. Can I help you? Why don't you uh, come have a seat over here, please? Now, as I'm trying to strike up a conversation with Eric, the other two men I talked about earlier are in their cars, waiting to see how this plays out, having their own internal struggles as to whether or not they are going to ultimately try to come inside this house to have sex with the child. And it's not clear how much they've seen of Eric, but they're going to figure out very soon they're in trouble as well. As I start to go through the transcripts with Eric, he says, I'm sorry. I've got to go. Turns, leaves through the patio door, and tries to make a run for it. Meanwhile, outside, both of the other men continue to sit in their cars. 
Inside, Jazzman04 decides to cut our conversation short. Your name is what? what? No, no, no. Well, I, I'm sorry. He doesn't get very far. Detectives with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department arrest him, and then they spring into action and arrest the other two men waiting outside. This all wraps up pretty quickly, and at the time, well, it was shocking that so many men were showing up, but in terms of actual characters out of the 51 who surfaced, Jasmine 04 was just another guy. Until I received that email from a woman who was binging predator investigations while in college in about 2015. And I'm going to let her tell the story here. But as she's watching, she was a criminal justice major. Who does she see show up in our Riverside investigation? The same guy, Eric Pallison, whom she met in 2009 when she was a teenager, 16 years old, in California, that same area, when Eric was 22 or 23 years old. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. Now, let me just set the stage here because at this point, Eric had been convicted in the Riverside case. He had served a year in jail, was on five years probation, and had to register as a sex offender. So that's where he was when he goes online and meets the young woman you're about to hear from. She was 16, home alone, homeschooled, by her own account, obese, a little bit antisocial, and very, very vulnerable to a guy who lied about his age. Eric told her that he was only 18. And so she wasn't that freaked out because she was 16. Now this might have been a gray area if he really was 18, but he was really 22, 23. So as he's out on probation, after serving his year sentence, while a registered sex offender, he shows up to have sex with another teenage girl. Now, how many times has he done this? We know from this young woman, now outraged by what he did, that there was at least one other case. And I have to believe many more. Now, Eric has done a good job at staying below the radar in recent years. It appears he got married, bought a house, worked in the beverage industry, maybe moved from California to Colorado. But we do know that in 2009, he had not learned his lesson. We're not going to identify this young woman for privacy reasons. She's now 30, she has a daughter of her own, and is a teacher. And what she has to say is important and vital if you're trying to understand the mind of a predator. 
Eric Pallison was found guilty of crimes related to trying to meet a 12-year-old girl for sex. He served a year in jail and then got five years probation. He also had to register as a sex offender in the state of California. So what has he been up to since? In a shocking turn, and I mentioned this in last week's episode, it is apparently the case where he continued to go online and try to hook up and have sex with underage girls. And the reason why we know this is because a young woman, whose name we're not going to use for privacy reasons, and I think we can all understand that, reached out to me, and I read her letter in the last episode, to share a harrowing story, a frightening story about meeting Eric Pallison online when she was 16 years old. He would have been 22 or 23. He claimed he was 18, 16, 18, not that big of a difference, but there is a big difference between 16 and 22 or 23. And that young woman who is now in her 30s and a teacher joins me now. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you. As I mentioned, we're not going to use your identity, but you are a teacher. I am. In the United States. Mm-hmm. Take me back to 2009. Let's start with how you figured out the guy you met online in 2009 was caught in one of my predator investigations. Tell that story first. So the way that I found out that Eric was in one of your predator investigations is I was studying for my bachelor's degree out in California. And one of the classes I was taking, I had to write a report on online predators, how they use certain tactics such as grooming to convince young children, both boys and girls, to meet up with them and just the different tactics they use. And so late at night, typical college student, I was binge watching the Catch a Predator episodes because when your show, The Catch a Predator, came out in 2006 time frame, I would have been 13. So that wasn't up my alley. My parents probably watched it, but that wasn't my thing. And so I was on YouTube and I was just binging your The Catch a Predator shows. And one was in Riverside, which is a county that I was living in. And I looked up from my laptop, I was typing to the screen and there was Eric. And I was like, oh my gosh. And like my heart just immediately dropped because when I was a junior slash like senior in high school, like that was the guy, the man, I should say that had previously like come over to my parents' house and, you know, when I was 16, told me he was 18. That's how I found out. What went through your mind when you put two and two together and realized that Eric Pallison, who got caught in our predator investigation in Riverside County, California, was the same guy who lied about his age in order to get with you in 2009? I was absolutely astonished. And I immediately started doing mental math, I'm pretty sure I just completely stopped typing my paper and started my Google searches, seeing what I could and couldn't find on him. And the interesting thing though, Chris, is you know him as Eric Palinsign, but when I was in contact with him, I had no idea that was his last name. He told me that his last name was Eric Hernandez. And so he went by the screen name when we caught him, Jazzman04. Yes. Because he was studying music at one of the universities in California. 
And did he talk about his interest in jazz and music when you met him, when you were in the line? He told me, obviously, us both being from the Riverside County area, he lived in a city, a couple cities across away from me. And it started out simple, like it always does, like the talk about the area. And I don't know how he was, you know, obviously in your investigation, but in my contact with him in the beginning, from what I recall, like I said, this was obviously 15, 16 years ago. I don't recall him being like overly aggressive, but Hito did mention that he was a freshman in college at, I believe, if my memory serves me right, Cal State Long Beach. And he played the saxophone. I'm like 99% sure. So in the conversation that he had with our perverted justice decoy in January of 2006, it took him just six minutes to raise the specter of having sex with a 12-year-old girl. And then he goes on to become very sexually explicit. He asks if the girl could find a classmate the same age to partake in this sex. And he sends pictures. He talks about porn. It's very graphic. How was he with you online prior to him coming over to meet you in person? So to be quite frank, I truly don't necessarily remember detail for detail how graphic he was online. I'm sure he had to have been super, super graphic online, but I was really heavily involved in like teenage chat rooms, growing up being an only child, different things like that. Like I dabble in like the chat line world with other people that I thought were teenagers. And so I know for a fact, just because of the people I talked with and obviously how I would like to talk with people that there's no way that he was obviously that sexually advanced towards me right away or I wouldn't have paid him like any attention. And so I can't say that like with absolute certainty that he wasn't, but just based off of me remembering my conversations with not only Eric, but others, I would prefer to be like friendlier with them on a friend's basis versus just get to the down and dirty. Because back then, like this doesn't sound so silly, but I don't think I was necessarily looking for a hookup or just a sex session with some random person. Being 16, I was morbidly obese for the majority of my life leading up to that. And so I was really just looking for that male companionship of like a boyfriend. And so I'm sure at some point I said to him, oh, I'm kind of looking for something like a little bit more. And I'm sure he used that like to his advantage. Were you vulnerable? Yes, absolutely. At 16 years old, you believe, you know, absolutely everything. And fast forward to like now looking back, I knew absolutely nothing. The decisions that I was making and what I was consenting to, like I don't have the mental capacity at that time like to consent, like to those decisions. If what you've heard shocks you so far, join us back in a moment. Describe yourself at that age. I came from a single parent household. My dad's always been in and out of my life. It was my mom. My mom to this day now is my best friend. She did so much for me. But I was very, very rebellious teenager, black sheep of the family. Because my mom worked so often to be able to put food like on the table and for us to survive, I spent a lot of time alone from the time I was very, like we're talking, you know, eight, nine years old. My mom would work at nights and I would stay by myself at nighttime in our apartment. 
growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends. I turned to like food. I had a food addiction, which led to me being morbidly obese. I was always the fat one. Like I just, I didn't have any friends. Like growing up in my city, I lived in a very middle, higher class like city. And so being the kid that was obese as well as, you know, not having a lot of money because of my mom being a single mom, I had no self-esteem. And so I sought out attention like on the internet. Do you remember what chat room you were in when you came across Eric? It definitely was not any of like the AOL chat rooms because I'm pretty sure that I had moved like past that stage. And so if I could guess, and I'm pretty sure I'm like dead on with this one, it would be teen hyphen video hyphen chat like dot com or something along those lines. And how long did you chat with Eric before he came over to your mother's apartment where you and your mother lived to meet in person? I believe that we probably only chatted maybe a week, if that. But we just had to be, we, when I say we, I mean Eric and myself, we had to be more planny about it just because of my mom's work schedule. I had withdrawn from normal high school and was basically do like a homeschool program within my district. And I was only attending school like once a week, actually like in person and everything else like I would do at home. And so we had to coordinate my school schedule, my mom's work schedule, along with his schedule with taking classes. Like I said, I believe it was Long Beach, Cal State Long Beach. Did you have any idea at the time of your first meeting that he was on probation for attempting to have sex with a 12-year-old girl and that he, at that time, was a registered sex offender in the state of California. Absolutely no way. I had absolutely no idea that he had any of those charges like whatsoever. Obviously, being 16-ish like at the time, you're young, you're naive, you don't think about doing these Google searches on people. And even if I did do a Google search... I don't think that it even like necessarily would have showed anything just because he told me that his name was like Eric Hernandez and not Palestine. He was a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you thought he was some nice guy college student who was 18 years old with whom you were willing to explore a relationship. Right, exactly. And he played it off. I hate saying this, but like, you know, I think it's really important to be like honest, like in your podcast, but. The first time that he came over to my home at the time, he was introducing himself and stuff. Like, he was, like, a genuine guy. So I thought. Now, obviously, being an adult, was he? No. Or was he playing that role to gain that trust? And then possibly what could happen from there? Because you're not just going to come over to some random young girl's house and be a total jerk to her. And so, like, he was nice and sweet. I had no clue that he was any type of, like, predator, like, whatsoever. And at 16 years old, him being 18, it just wasn't a big deal. I didn't see, like, that age difference, like, whatsoever, 16 and 18, like, being a big deal. Except he was actually 22 or 23. Right, right, exactly. Tell me about the first time he came over. What happened? Was your mom home or you were home alone? I was home alone. My mom was working. Like I said, I obviously was not attending school online. I would get packets of homework, do them at home, and then turn them in once a week. And so the rest of the day was like pretty much mine like to do however I wanted. And so in the conversation that 
Eric and I had, I'm sure we went from the chat room to, well, I guarantee you that like we were texting, like we've texted before and we just set a date and he came over. My mom and I, we were now living in a house. We had moved into a house and we lived in a gated community. And so you actually had to either wait for a car to let you in or basically like I gave you the code and it would call my mom's phone and she would have to buzz you in. And I guess he sat at the gate and nobody was coming through. And so I was like, well, I could give you, you know, the code that buzzes my mom's phone and I'll just tell her that I ordered a pizza. And so that's what he actually did. He used the code that was for our direct line. And I told my mom that I had ordered a pizza. And so he got in, he came into the house. And what happened when he got to the house? So he pulled into the neighborhood. And like I said, looking back on it, he told me that he was a little lost. And so he actually drove our neighborhood, like made like a complete circle. And so he actually drove around the neighborhood as if he was looking like for like my house. Like he wasn't exactly sure like which one it was. And you know, I didn't think anything of it, obviously being 16. Now I think it's more of, you know, he was scouting the house to see if, you know, there were any undercovers or anything just a little bit weird and suspicious. Make sure it wasn't another sting operation. Right. So when he parked his car, <laughs> I can tell you exactly what type of car he was driving. He was driving a like older, like 90s Toyota RAV4. And it was like this bright purple, like bluish color, like whatever color like that was like at the time for those vehicles. That's what he was driving. And so came up to my house, came inside. My mom had a formal living room. And so we just like sat down like in the formal living room and we talked for a solid 15-ish minutes before you know, he eventually asked if I wanted to go upstairs and have sex. And did you upstairs with him? Yeah, I brought him upstairs. He actually wanted to have sex in my mom's room. And I was like, no. One, she's like very like type A personality. And so she would totally know if one pillow was like misplaced on that bed that she made. Like I said, being a teen, like I'm like, absolutely not. Like my mom will totally know. And so that time we did not have sex like on my mom's bed. So we did in my room though. We definitely had um, sexual relations in my room. But later on as like, you know, we met up a few more times after that, he did eventually like convince me that like, oh, we should try it in your mom's room. Why was it so important for him to have sex with you in your mother's bed? I truly don't know. I don't know if it's like one of those things to where that was bad or that was like dirty or that was like kinky but I don't know maybe it was just one of the things that like got him off how did he treat you I mean obviously this was a crime what he did to you whether you consented or not because of the age difference and he would have sent him back to prison because he would have been in violation of parole right risked a lot by coming to meet you and knowing that you were only 16 yet he Um, did it anyway How did he treat you during this time? So the first time that he came over, like I said, he was a really like nice and sweet guy. Like he didn't like forcefully rape me or anything along those lines. At 16, even though you can't like give consent, like in my mind, obviously, like I could. And so I had consensual like sex like with him, even though like, again, you can't give consent at 16. However, as a teenager, you think you can. 
I never would have known he was a predator. Like, absolutely not. And we met up like a few more times, like after that, the sex sessions and sexual encounters that like we did have, the intercourse we did have, it did become like a lot more like rough and aggressive. Did he ever hurt you physically? No, he never hurt me physically, no. Was there anything that stood out to you that was particularly bizarre or aggressive about his behavior? Anything he wanted you to do at that young age that looking back as an adult today was just, I mean, I mean, the whole thing is wrong and criminal, but getting into the profile of a predator, does anything stick out to you today? Yeah. Two main things stick out to me today. One of the main things is he was very adamant that he wanted to do anal sex with me. And I was absolutely like not for it. Like I didn't want anything to do with it. And he tried to sell me on it like every single time, even through like text messages. Like when we were talking about like the next time that he would come over, he would always ask me if he wanted to bring lube. So, you know, this time we could possibly like try anal. And every single time I was like, no, like I don't want to do that. And so he never forced me to do it. He definitely tried to pressure me to do so. More of our story in a moment. How did this relationship, if you can call it that, it's really not, how did this predatory behavior finally come to a halt? I would talk to him for like a few weeks and then he would kind of just disappear. He would kind of just like drop off the face of the earth. He wouldn't respond to my text messages, anything along those lines. And so I'd kind of be like, oh, whatever. Maybe he found an actual girlfriend or something along those lines. And then he would just pop up again and be like, Hey, sorry, I got busy with exams and my midterms and I had band practice or band concert and he would just then like reappear. He would stay around for a few weeks and then disappear again. Did you ever tell anybody about this? I did not tell anybody about this. It wasn't until recently that my boyfriend and I were on our way home from a vacation And we had like a four hour drive. And so we started looking into podcasts and he was like, for the love of God, he's like, I don't want to listen to another murder podcast. It can be crime, but not murder. And so I was like, okay. And so we started like looking through like different podcasts. I was like, oh, look, there's Chris Hansen. And so we started listening to your new podcast. Well, I guess it's not new, but it was newer to me. The podcast Predators I've Caught. So we started listening to that. And so we listened to one episode and I looked over to my boyfriend. I was like, I got to tell you something. And he's like, what? And I told him that basically what we talked about in the beginning of this episode about how I was at home doing a college paper on online predators. And I saw Eric and my boyfriend was like, he was super supportive. And (laughs) I started crying. How did you react to that? That's a mind boggling coincidence. I knew just because obviously our relationship is really strong and really solid that I'm you very know, brave of you to share it, by the way. I knew that, you know, he's my best friend and the love of my life. And so I knew in telling him that he wasn't gonna judge me for it and that if anything, this is just another piece of, you know, a traumatic experience. Him and I talk about traumatic experiences all the time, especially with me being in the education field now, I always come home and tell them like, oh man, like one of my kids, they just come from this broken household. And so we talk about traumatic experiences all the time and children. I mean, for the rest of the drive home, 
We just talked about that experience that I had with Eric and that was absolutely literally like my deepest, darkest secret that I had kept because of being so embarrassed that I had met up and had sex with somebody that was a predator, a registered sex offender and like a danger like to society. And like given I didn't know that at the time of meeting with Eric, but when I found out about it, I was just like, I was absolutely mortified. I kept that so buried for so long and it's eaten me alive for so long. And so being able to tell my boyfriend that I feel like, you know, the weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And now, especially getting to tell you this and have listeners hear this, you know, I hope that it gives people the courage to come forward and you get a full out of people being like, hey, I met, hopefully not Eric, hopefully like you don't get a flood of messages, but people are victims of any of these predators that, you know, they will come forward and talk about their experiences as well. I'm guessing at 16, this was, if not your first sexual experience among your first sexual experiences with Eric. Yes, it was. And one of the things I wanted to tell you too, as Eric and I got more comfortable with each other, he had asked me on multiple occasions if like I've like ever used like any type of sex toys or anything along those lines. And I was like, no, like I'm just like, I'm 16. Like I can't even legally go buy a sex toy. He was like, well, what if I bought you one? tiny like mini personal like body massagers i'll order it to the walmart that's down the street from your house and either you can walk there one day while your mom's at work or if i have time one day when i come over to your house we can go pick it up and so he did he ordered it for me and one of the days he came over before he came inside i met him outside and we picked up this what he called personal body massager but it was actually like a little mini vibrator and he used this while he had sex with you. Yes. How did this impact you long-term? This is not how young people are supposed to introduce each other into intimacy. Mm-hmm. Did this harm you? Did this hold you back? Was this a problem for you in relationships? I imagine it would have to be at some level, right? Right. So from 16 to 22, I was definitely still like promiscuous because I didn't know that Eric was a predator until... I turned 22 and this was when I was 16. And so when Eric and I stopped having any type of communication completely, I went out and got myself like, you know, an actual boyfriend, you know, that relationship lasted, you know, I'm sure it was short because of being young. And in my college years leading up to seeing your show on YouTube, I was pretty promiscuous. I'm not going to lie. Like I was pretty promiscuous in a safe way, obviously, like as safe as you can be, you know, like using protection and stuff like that. But after I found out about the Eric thing and the fact that now all of a sudden I felt I was violated by this guy that was a predator that was meeting up with a 12-year-old. Not that 16's any better, but a 12-year-old, I totally shut down for a like very, very long time. And as crazy as this sounds, I feel like I really did like a whole 180 in my life. And it almost kind of changed me like for the better in the sense that I stopped partying as much. I took my education more seriously and I stopped being so promiscuous and I really started taking care of myself. And I was still really heavy at that time. And so I actually took the proper necessary steps to lose over 200 pounds. That's wonderful for you and great personal growth. But you know, at the same time, this predator 
who preyed upon you in your most vulnerable stage of life was committing a felony by being with you. What did Eric Pallison take from you? I totally feel like one of the biggest things he took from me was being able to trust people. It took me a long time after finding out about what he had done to really be able to trust people. I have a daughter of my own now. I literally don't trust anybody. He took away any type of innocence I had. Like, I didn't know anything. He took away my innocence. He took away my security, feeling safe in my own home, especially at the time. I didn't realize that. But looking back, you know, old me 16 years ago, he did. He took my innocence from me. He took the protection of my home from me. And most of all, like, you know, he took advantage of me. He should have gone to prison for what he did to you because that would have been a violation of his parole. He should. I personally think that he should have been in prison. Like all of the guys that you guys have caught and have been prosecuted and charged like with these crimes, I think they all should still be in prison. And truthfully, I don't even think they deserve that. I think that we should just off with their heads. Do you think you're the only one who Allison preyed upon? Absolutely not. I would be shocked if I was the only one that he preyed on. And it's even a possibility that the times that he would go dormant and not talk to me, he could have been talking to some other unexpected 16-year-old or even younger. Eric Pallison is now in his mid-30s. What do you say to him today? How dare you? You were caught back in 2006 in Riverside trying to meet with a 12-year-old girl to have sex with her. And it did not go as you expected. You know, I don't believe in second chances. I think you should still be in prison for that incident alone. But the criminal justice system let you out. And so you basically got a second chance to do something better with your life and become like a productive member of society. But you continued to be a predator and victimize helpless young children. And truthfully, (laughs) I think you're one of the biggest pieces of crap that, you know, is currently walking the earth. And I hope that I was truly your only victim and there aren't any more women now in their 30s that were victimized by you like I was. You have a child now. You're also a teacher. I am. And how has this experience impacted the way you raise your own child and the way you educate other people's children? So starting with my own child, I have a daughter. She's literally my twin when it comes to personalities, looks, everything. And so I worry about her sometimes just because I know how I was and, you know, I see the same tendencies in her that I had as a possible teenager one day. She's not a teenager yet. She's a little younger, but she's not school-aged yet. But I am so, so protective of her. I didn't allow her to start preschool until she was able to effectively communicate. So we knew if something was happening at her school that, you know, was right or wrong. Like, we didn't want to have to basically take any guessing games or try to figure out if something bad was going on. So that along with, I'm really open, honest with her. Like I'm very black and white with her. I ensure that she's very black and white with me. She knows that, you know, she can either go 
that she feels comfortable going to either myself, my boyfriend, or her father, and any adult that she trusts like in her life. Like her teachers at her school, she can go to, you know, a trusted adult and they will help her if she's having a problem, whether it's something small such as tying her shoes or if someone's trying to hurt her. We rely on our teachers heavily these days to protect our children. And there's so much access. I mean, when you think about the difference between 2006 when we caught Eric and today, there are so many more platforms upon which adults can approach children. It's happening at an even earlier age, and it's at an alarming rate. What do you say to kids in your class? I mean, obviously, these kids are should be too young to be on the internet, but they're going to get there. What do you do? So the thing is, these kids that are in my classrooms now, especially, they are on the internet. We heavily rely on technology nowadays in classrooms to have children do work. And so these kids are accessing school programs, but they're able to bring their electronic devices home at night to do homework that they need to do. And we're talking elementary school kids. They have like laptops that are issued to them at the beginning of the school year that even though they are the district's property, they're basically on loan to these students. And so on our Wi-Fi at school, we have blocks to where they can't access, you know, certain websites. But when these kids go home, if they don't have adult supervision, like, I mean, they can access like any website under the sun. A lot to take in. And I appreciate you sharing your story and the cautionary tale. I've seen a lot and it's startling to me that this guy got caught, served time, should have learned his lesson. And yet he's back out there meeting you as a teenager. And I can't help but believe he was doing this to other girls. And he should have gone back to prison, quite honestly. He should have stayed in prison, Chris. All these guys should have stayed in prison. And like I said, truthfully, I don't think they ever should have came out. And this is happening more now than 19 years ago when we started these investigations. It's mind-boggling. Thank you so much for sharing, for listening to the podcast, for reaching out to us to share the story. I think it's important and I think it's shocking. And I'm very happy, as tough as I'm sure it was, that you shared it with us. Thank you. You're welcome. And I really hope that if there are, I hope there aren't any others, but if there are other men or women that were victimized as a child, I hope that they muster up the courage to write into you and talk about their story. Because I think the more attention we bring to it, the more we can make a change in the end. I agree. Awareness and dialogue. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This has been one of the incredible results of this podcast, quite honestly, is engaging listeners to not only connect and communicate, but to get information on the predators I've caught, to gain greater insight, and certainly this interview has done so. As always, I want to hear from you, all of you. And I listen to all the questions. I read all the questions. Sometimes people have to write in more than once. In spite of my best efforts of trying to keep track of this. And this next question, this week's question, is from another guy who, well sent in his question three times before I got to it, but I appreciate the persistence. 
It's from Stephen in Bakersfield, California. Hi, Chris. This is Stephen from Bakersfield, California. Longtime fan. Been watching since TCAP first started airing on Dateline. Finally, all caught up with the podcast. Here's something that I've been wondering for years now, but I've never really had a good way to ask until now. Some of these guys would chat with decoys for as long as two months or more. Some barely chatted for an hour before they were at the Stinghouse. So my question is this. With all these different chats of all these different lengths, how was it possible to get all of the predators to show up at the Stinghouse during the few days your team would actually be there waiting for them? Again, love your work catching potential predators. Always looking forward to new episodes and the upcoming takedowns. Excellent question. Thank you, Stephen. Usually the decoys are in the chat rooms regionally in the weeks leading up to the sting operation. Clearly, not everybody shows up. Not every predator gets caught. But it does become a bit of a challenge, as you mentioned, because sometimes guys will chat for just a matter of minutes or hours. Fast movers. And they'll show up on the same day. And sometimes it'll take weeks. This grooming process on the part of the potential predator. And while they may not all show up in our investigations during our shoots, and some do not. Typically, what will happen, Stephen, is that because the crime is usually committed online, the solicitation of a child for sex, that even if they don't show up during the actual sting operation, the law enforcement department with which we work will go out and make the arrest afterwards. And in some cases, we've seen potential predators trying to groom a child. And for whatever reason, they don't show up in one sting. But months later, in a subsequent sting operation, in the same jurisdiction, they will show up. In Polk County, Florida, there was a guy who had been chatting for two different stings and finally got caught in the third. In Genesee County in Michigan, we had a situation where a guy was chatting during one sting operation but didn't show up until the next. So you just never know. It's not an exact science, obviously. But usually, if they commit the crime and law enforcement can locate them, they are ultimately arrested. Thank you, Stephen. I'd like to hear from all of you. And you can find me all over social media at Chris Hansen on Twitter, official Chris Hansen on Instagram, TikTok, have a seat with Chris Hansen all over Facebook. On True Blue, T R U B L U, watch TrueBlue.com for details. That is where the takedown episodes are, the new predator investigations. Very compelling. It continues to shock me that almost 20 years into doing these investigations, guys are still showing up. And it doesn't appear to be stopping anytime soon. And we won't be stopping anytime soon. Also on True Blue, a number of new crime and investigative enterprise documentaries on the way. The Facebook feed will be out soon. More about that later. 
And as always, you can find me right here at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'll be watching and listening.